Okay, so I wanted to share a little bit about myself and why I call myself Dr. Ange. Now, I haven't been to university to study to be a doctor, um, but I have got more than 30 years experience with mental health issues. And I figure by the time you've got 30 years experience in anything, you're probably a specialist and it's okay to say you're a doctor. But I don't want to mislead anyone. I'm offering points of view and information from my personal experience. There's another angle to this as well. And whether you're someone who's only just started having mental health issues or someone who has had long-term experiences with the mental health system, traditionally, mental health has been seen as something that the doctors or the people with the qualifications tell you what you're going through or tell you what's best. And in a way, it means that if you have got mental health issues, your power is taken away. What I have found in my own journey is there's been times when I've been really unwell and yeah, I needed the opinions of medical professions, professionals to try to help me get more stable. But overall, and because of all I've been through, if I'm able to take control of my own mental well-being, if I'm able to learn skills and strategies to help me cope, if I feel like I'm in charge of my mental health, it makes it easier to cope. And it also gives me more options than if I'm just relying on what the doctor says. You know, sometimes, well, especially when I was younger, if, if you go to a, a GP, a general practitioner, um, that's what we call them here in Australia. I don't know what they call them in um, other countries. If you go to a GP and say you're depressed or you're going through a hard time, they're going to give you medication. If you become really unwell and you become suicidal and you might end up in a psychiatric hospital, they're going to give you medication. Um, that's about it. <laughs> if you're really lucky, you might come across a good psychiatrist or psychologist or a counsellor who, you know, you get to talk to and together you come up with some sort of plan to help you with whatever you're facing. And I'm using depression as an example because um, that's what I've struggled with the most throughout my life. But it could be anxiety, it could be addiction issues, it could be a whole, hope, a whole heap of other things. But whatever you're struggling with, usually the, the, the first step they'll make to try to help you is medication. And if you're lucky, they might suggest that you get a psychologist or a psychiatrist involved. And then from having another medical professional, like a psychologist or a psychiatrist, together you might work with a plan, coming up with a plan on how to help you recover from whatever mental issue you're going through. That's all good. You know, I'm not I'm not gonna start talking against the mental health system, at least not straight away. <laughs> but that might not be the only solution for you. And I'm not saying that medication is, is 
there's something wrong with taking medication or that medication is bad. I, I think medication is an important part of many people's mental health recovery. But there's more options or there's other ways of learning how to cope with mental illness. And medication is only a part of that and it's not for everyone. Talk therapy, seeing a counsellor or seeing a psychologist can be really beneficial, but it doesn't work for everyone. So part of talking to other people who've experienced mental health issues, not only do you feel less alone when you realise, okay, other people have been through this, but also you can learn different ways of coping. You can have a lot more information that maybe you weren't aware of and you can feel more in control instead of just having a doctor telling you what the best way to cope with this illness is talking to other people who have been on a similar journey can show you that there's many ways to cope and to survive and to you know maybe even overcome how mental illness has been impacting your life now, one of the things I say a lot is that mental health is a journey, not a destination. And the reason I say that is, I know for me, when I was younger, especially um, probably in my 20s, so um, I'm a really old chook, by the way, I'm 44, so <laughs> people tell me that's not old, but I feel really old, um, but anyway. I know when I was in my 20s, I always thought that eventually there'll be a day where I overcome all my personal issues and insecurities and, you know, all the hurt and trauma I've had in my life and the depression will just go away and it will never, ever, ever come back and I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Now, I'm 44 and that day still hasn't arrived and what I've realized is it might not ever arrive fully. That's not to say that I haven't had times in my life where I've been happy and I've been pretty stable. But I've also recognized that there are times of my life where the depression is going to come back. And that's okay because I've learned I can cope or I can get through the depression. I'm not saying that mental illness is easy. It's not. Um, but it is something that you can manage and hopefully listening to this podcast and over time I'm hoping to bring people in to interview um, who've been through their own stuff it's not just going to be me talking all the time because I know that gets boring um, yes I'm a fascinating interesting person but I get tired of my own voice as well. So I am hoping to interview other people over time. And if you're listening to this and you want to share your story, shoot me an email because I am I think everyone has a story to tell. And I think everyone can benefit from hearing how other people um, have coped with mental illnesses. And we're all survivors and we're all just trying to do our best. And that's the journey. It's the story of, of your life and how you decide you want to cope with mental illness and how you want to drive the vehicle um, of your life, you know. It's a journey, there's ups and downs. Um, sometimes we end up in places we don't want to be, 
but with the right support, with the right help, with the right strategies, and yeah, with the right medication, for some, it doesn't have to override your whole life. Those hard times can be just a stop on a highway rather than a whole life anchored in darkness. Um, and that's been my experience. You know, I've realized that the depression is probably going to come and go over my life. Um, when the depression comes, then I sort of step up my coping strategies. When things are okay, I enjoy it and I want it to last as, as long as it can. But, you know, I'm 44 years into this journey and it's not always an easy road, but for me, the important thing is to just keep going, to keep moving forward and to try to make the best life for myself that I can. And what I found, which is also why I do this podcast, is when I'm able to help other people, that's the best medicine ever. Like, um, I worked in a psychiatric ward for four years. I was a peer worker, so my actual job was to support other people going through mental health issues. And mainly listening. It wasn't, you know, as much as I love to talk, I think the most important thing was to be able to listen to other people and give them the space to be able to share what they were going through. But I know in that work, it was so healing for me because I could support people and let them know that they're not alone. Other people have been through similar stuff. There is hope. Um, things aren't always going to be as horrible as they are in that actual moment. And to be able to say that because I've lived it, it means so much to me. To be able to share that with other people when they're going through a hard time, it encourages them. And then it just makes things better. It means that all the crap that I've been through, all the suffering, all the yucky experiences, because I, you know, I did have some bad experiences with the mental health system, especially early on. All those things weren't for nothing. And just finding some purpose and realizing that, hey, I can be there for other people who, who are going through similar stuff. That means the world to me. It's been like working in the psychiatric ward as a peer worker was really healing for me. It was really rewarding, um, but it was a hard gig as well. Like I'll, I'll be honest, it, it did wear me down eventually um, because then I had other stuff happen. I had my own um, personal issues to work through as well. I'm just going to share now that I also have a disability. Um, so I have ongoing mental health issues. My main ones have been depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. I do get anxiety from time to time, but not, not my main um, issue. Um, but I do have a disability because of a medical condition. I have a condition called fibromyalgia. Um, so the main condition with that is ongoing chronic pain and chronic fatigue. There's actually over, I think, 120 symptoms to fibromyalgia. I don't have all 127, well, whatever it is. Um, I don't have all the symptoms, but I, I do struggle a lot with my health because of this condition and it is recognized as a disability. Um, one of the things I notice the most is that it impacts my cognitive ability. So 
it impacts my brain and the one that I feel most self-conscious about is how I speak because sometimes I just go completely blank and I can't remember a word or what I was talking about so if you hear me pause I'm sorry and I am trying not to do too many ums and ahs it's just sometimes the the computer in my brain just stops and goes blank and I have to wait a little bit for that train of thought to come back Um, you might not notice it I feel really self-conscious about it apologies I will try to edit as much as I can so you get a smooth message but it is what it is unfortunately I'm doing my best to work through um, a cognitive disability Um, and yeah that's all I can do Getting back to why I call myself Dr. Ange, it is a cheeky way of of me saying I've got 30 years experience with this struggle with mental health. I'm not an expert, but I am a specialist in what I've been through, what's helped me, what hasn't, and maybe talking about what I've been through, it might just help other people. It's not just me. I really believe that everyone can help everyone by sharing their experiences. Like mental health is such, it's still stigmatized, unfortunately. It's still something that we don't talk about enough. It's a lot better than what it was years ago. But I I really hope that one day that people will be comfortable enough to talk about their mental health issues as easily as you would talk about having diabetes, or having broken your leg because it is a medical condition it's not a sign of weakness it's not a failure of character it's a medical condition and like a lot of medical conditions you can get help and you can make yourself recover or help yourself recover you can get medications you can find ways to manage your mental health in a similar way that you would any other health condition it's not easy I I would never say that it's easy, but it's possible. Getting back onto mental health is a journey. What I want to talk about now is at what point of the journey you might find yourself. These last couple of years, especially with COVID, I think a lot of people have been feeling stress. Like I'm in Melbourne and we've had the most severe and longest lockdown out of any city in the world which we we used to win most livable city like we won that seven years in a row Melbourne was voted the most livable city and now we're the most locked down city (laughs) I liked it better when it was livable Um, I'm an introvert so the first year it wasn't too bad for me the first year of lockdowns wasn't too bad we're coming into our second year of, of lockdowns and I've been struggling and I'm someone who loves to be at home so I can't imagine what it's like for people who you know are really social and love to get out and be around other people even the whole thing with homeschooling like if you've got kids some people might be really good at homeschool with their kids I'm not my son hates learning online it's been really hard for him to focus he's He's started year 11 this year, so he's coming into his 
final last two years of high school and he feels like it's just been a mess and I've seen how it's impacted him I've seen how his confidence and his academic ability has gone down I see how much he misses his mates and just the routine of going to school and stuff like it's hard for him to have any kind of routine when it's all at home um, so COVID and having lockdowns has really made an impact on people's mental health. So you might be listening to this and you've never had mental health issues. You've never struggled with depression or anxiety or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it's it, you're going through a really hard time and you don't know what to do about it. Now, you might be listening to this and be at another stage of mental health. You might be someone who has struggled with different mental health issues over the years. Um, I don't want to list a whole heap of different conditions because there's too many to list. Like I said before, my main one's depression, so that's usually the one I, I will refer to. But if you're listening to this and you're someone who's struggled over your life, whether it's been a consistent struggle or whether it's been different times where mental issues, mental health issues comes up for you, that's part of the journey too. So you might be at the start of your journey, you might be someone who's never had any sort of mental health issue for themselves and all of a sudden you're like what is this what do I do how do I cope you might be someone who has had different mental health struggles over your life and maybe in the past you got through it now it's come back and you're like why has it come back and you're probably angry that it has come back you might be someone who's got like a serious ongoing mental health issue. Um, things like schizophrenia or um, personality disorders. They can be a lot harder because it's like an ongoing fight to survive. Whatever point of your journey you're at, I'm hoping by sharing some strategies, we can help or I can help. I haven't got a way yet. It'd be great to have a co-host. Um, but so far it looks like I'm hosting this on my own and that's okay because I'm Dr. Ange and I can cope um, but yeah I, I want to just offer some options on how to make that mental health journey smoother so the first thing I wanted to address is the different types of, of situations where mental illness can impact you so the first one I want to talk about is situational crisis. Now, that's a word situ well So situational crisis. It's a term that's used in the mental health system a lot. And what it means is you're someone who maybe doesn't usually have mental health issues but the circumstances in your life have gotten to a point where you're not coping or you're not functioning as as well as you could be now those circumstances can be stuff like you've had a really bad illness and now you maybe you haven't got enough money because you had to stop working and so you're really stressed out you haven't got money, you, you're really depressed because you were left weak because of your illness, 
and you don't know how you're going to cope and you don't know where to go for help. Another situational crisis can be when a relationship breaks down. Um, when I was working in the psychiatric ward, I saw this a lot where people, you know, they got dropped by their girlfriend or boyfriend or partner and they're devastated. And I think this is something that we really don't acknowledge enough. People hurt, you know? When relationships end, people are left feeling broken and hurt. Maybe they're feeling used or angry. And we don't always know what to do with those emotions. And those emotions become overwhelming if, you know, especially with young people. Um, it was really sad when I was working in the psychiatric ward because we'd get a lot of young people, maybe it was their first serious relationship um, or maybe it's their first relationship and they took it a lot more seriously than the other person. Or maybe, you know, it's not just young people. Um, people of all ages get really hurt when a relationship ends. And those feelings of loneliness, of, of sadness, of hurt, sometimes betrayal, they're really serious. And we, we often would have young people at the psychiatric ward who had a relationship breakup and were left feeling suicidal. They didn't know how they were going to cope without the other person in their life. They just couldn't see a future for themselves. And that's a circumstantial situation. And the reason why it's a circumstantial situation is because if they can learn and have confidence in themselves, if they can accept that the relationship has ended but they will move forward, then they're probably going to move past that feeling of giving up on life, that feeling of sadness and depression or feeling suicidal, you know? It's the situation which has led them to have a mental health crisis. Um, there can be other circumstances. Um, pet dying, that, I saw that a few times at work, not a lot, um, but pets. I thought it was just me. I've got two beautiful dogs and before that I had another dog. And I love my dogs and they help me so much, especially when I'm feeling down. Um, and I thought it was just me, but then talking to clients when I was um, working, I discovered, no, pets are amazing for so many people. And if you're alone and your pet is the only companion you have and then something happens to your pet, that's devastating. Um, but again, it's a circumstance. It's a situation which has led you to crisis. Um, on a more, you know, more common, I think, experiences when you have a loved one that has died or when you lose your job or you know again relating this back to COVID so many people are struggling because there's just too many situations changing on them you know so many people have lost their jobs or people who run a small business and are now struggling and the stress of that can cause a mental health crisis so that's situational crisis Usually when someone's having a mental health crisis due to their circumstances or due to the situation, <clears throat> it's a short-term situation with mental health. Um, so short-term means that usually you might be under that situation for three to six months, maybe a year. So it's a mental health crisis. It is part of a mental health journey. But once you receive you know, help, you might be medication, it might be counselling, 
Um, it might be like in the case of someone who has lost their job, it could be getting some financial support um, in place, letting them know, usually a social worker would help with stuff like that, um, letting them know what resources or organisations are out there that can help. And hopefully, you know, things will change in their life where they are able to get another job, get back on their feet. And then the crisis is gone. They're not going to be stressed out anymore. They're not going to be scared and full of anxiety about how they're going to support their family. You know, that's a situational crisis. It's not an ongoing mental health issue. So some people are fortunate. Um, you know, when we look at that ratio, one to four, no, one out of four people will experience mental health issues in their lifetime. That might be a situational crisis, you know? That might be everything's going okay, you know, you, you're living your life, enjoying it as much as, you can, as much as you can, and then all of a sudden something happens and you find yourself in a mental health crisis and you don't know what to do. As I said, usually a situational crisis is a short-term situation. And once we get some strategies, some support, maybe medication in place, people can overcome those things in a, in a short time. Um, you know, three to six months, um, sometimes shorter. You know, I, I mentioned before young people breaking up. You know, sometimes someone can be devastated when they break up from their relationship, you know, their first serious boyfriend or girlfriend. And then other people, break up and they're devastated and then a couple of weeks later they meet somebody else and they move on. I mean things can change pretty quick when you're young and your heart can change directions pretty quick when you're young too. Not always, but just putting it out there that situational crisis is usually not a long-term mental health issue. It's something that can be addressed and managed and overcome in, in a shorter time span. I just wanted to add um, with situational crisis now I said before how situational crisis is usually considered like a short-term situation um, and usually it can be resolved you know within three to six months maybe a year unfortunately like say you've lost your job and you're under all this pressure and you know, people get suicidal over not being able to support their family and they might be looking for work and they're just not able to get another job. And sometimes that can happen for longer than three to six months. Um, you know, sometimes people end up out of work for years, especially like if you're an older person. Um, and by older, I guess I mean by over 50. Legally, you're still supposed to be working, I think up until you're 72 or something and then you retire. I was going to say drop dead, but unfortunately the politicians have different goals for us Australians. Um, but yeah, a situational crisis can easily become long-term mental illness if it isn't resolved within a certain amount of time. I think for depression, um, I think it's 12 weeks. If you've been feeling depressed for 12 weeks, that's when it becomes depression. That's not something to get scared about, okay? If you've got a situational crisis, it's affecting your mental illness. Hopefully, 
your situation, your circumstances will change and you'll feel better about stuff, you know. If, if you've lost a job, hopefully you'll get a new job. You might have to learn new skills, you know. You might have to do stuff to change your situation, but it can be resolved. If a relationship has ended, you might need some counselling just to get to terms with it. <clears throat> but after a, a sh- shortish amount of time, you're able to move on. But if it does get to a point where you've been struggling for a longer amount of time, that's when it can become like a, a different kind of mental health s- symptom. Um, that's when you might be depressed for a year. That's when you might be feeling anxious. And it could be something triggers anxiety and it doesn't get resolved and then you're, you're feeling anxious and having panic attacks, maybe feeling scared to do certain things for a long amount of time. You can still get help. And that's the other thing. You know, I'm sort of breaking things up into different categories. Situational crisis, trauma, genetic influences, biochemistry. At every point, you can still get help. And I think getting help is a big part of mental well-being. It's good to do as much as you can on your own. But when you get to a point where you, you can't cope on your own, and for me, the big the big factor is if you're able to function. I know for myself, if I am at a point where I can't get out of bed, where I can't do the things that I would normally do to take care of myself and my son, if I'm not able to function, that's when that's a red flag for me to to get help. Um, yeah. So if you're not able to function, or if it's in, it's impacting the way you go about your normal tasks. That's usually when you need some help. And again, there's a lot of stigma attached to getting help, um, especially for guys, which is really unfortunate because I think in Australia especially, we've got a culture where <clears throat> manly blokes don't need help. But it's like anything. If you haven't learnt the skills to cope or if you look at mental illness as a biochemical imbalance in the brain, if you're not producing the right biochemicals in your brain to be able to function, you can take medicine. It's not a big deal. If you're diabetic, you take medicine. That's not a big deal. Why should it be any different with brain chemistry? So there are things that need to change as a culture, but asking for help when you get to a point that you can't keep going it's not a bad thing if it means the difference between life and death and sometimes it does um anyway i'm not going to be talking about suicide in this episode i think i mentioned it but i'll probably do a separate podcast just on that topic eventually um but yeah i just wanted to point out that a situational crisis can be resolved you know especially if the circumstances change But when the circumstances around you don't change, that's when it can sort of drift into becoming a longer-term mental health issue. Hopefully, if you're in a situational crisis, in time, you're able to overcome it. You know, if it's grief, someone that you love has passed away, hopefully you can get some grief counselling, you can come to accept the person has passed away, you can celebrate their life in different ways, you know but you move past it. But some people get stuck, you know. I was reading a book called The Trauma Cleaner. Um, Very interesting book. Um, 
it's about a, a lady who helps people clean their houses when there's been trauma. So she helps hoarders. She helps um, when there's been a suicide or a death where it's been really messy. She does the clean up or she gets her workers to clean up. And one of her clients was a lady whose son had passed away and the lady just couldn't move past it. It had been, you know, 20 something years since her son had passed away and she couldn't let go. And so she sort of held on to everything that came into her life from that point. So her house was like full of stuff. Um, But it all came back to not being able to accept that her son had passed away. And I don't know, I've got a son. I, I don't know what I'd do if he passed away. I always hope he's safe. Um, but yeah, that's a situational crisis for that lady was that her son passed away. She didn't know how to cope. But it, it grew into a longer term mental health issue via her hoarding. And that made an impact on her quality of life and ability to function. So I just wanted to slip that in there, that situational crisis, usually a short term situation or circumstances that can be resolved but if for some reason that can't be resolved it can end up being a long-term mental health issue there's always help that's that's really important there's always help there's always ways to try to overcome things in life um but often something that started in a in a small way can grow if you're not able to get the support and resources um, to cope better okay so situational crisis is when the circumstances in your life something's changed you're under stress you're getting anxious you're getting depressed or you're grieving so much that you're not able to function something in your life has changed and that has made an impact on your mental well-being so there's a circumstance there's a situation that has led you to have a mental health crisis but usually this is a short-term situation another way that you can experience mental health issues is if you've had trauma in your life now there's been a lot of research in the recent years, a lot of development in understanding trauma and how it impacts people. Um, it's actually something pretty exciting as far as being able to get help if you've had trauma in your life. Unfortunately, trauma can happen at any age. The worst thing about trauma is if you're a child, if you're a kid, and you have one traumatic experience or if you've had a lot of traumatic experiences as a child growing up. The trauma itself changes the way your brain develops and because of the changes in your brain that can have an impact on your health, it can have an impact on your mental well-being, um, it can have an impact on your relationships. Like if you've had a lot of trauma as a child then when you become an adult you might find it really hard to trust people and if, if you don't trust people, you might isolate yourself. And then if you isolate yourself, you might get really lonely and depressed and feel like no one cares about you. And if you're really lonely and depressed, you, you can sort of see how it escalates. And I think that's like a double whammy as far as mental health issues go. It's not only can you have 
these really shitty, sorry for swearing, but really crappy experiences as a child. And then without you knowing, those crappy experiences in your childhood turn into other ongoing issues relating to mental health when you become an adult. Now, trauma doesn't just happen in childhood. Um, you know, you can have trauma as an adult or a teenager or as an elderly person. Anything that makes an impact and damages you, it can be a car accident. You can have a car accident and while you might physically recover from the car accident, accident, it might still stay stuck in your head as a traumatic event. Or you can be bullied at work and you know the bullying goes on and on and on for a period of time and it leaves you feeling intimidated and frustrated and scared and anxious to be in the workplace and you, you might get to a point where you can't work anymore because of the trauma of that experience or where you decide to change jobs. Um, trauma, especially like for soldiers, um, like the development of post-traumatic stress disorder as, as recognizing a symptom, um, that kind of got started because of the experiences of soldiers coming back from Vietnam. And then if you look further into it, even World War One. I think they used to call it shell shock and now they realize that shell shock was actually post-traumatic stress disorder. Now post-traumatic stress disorder itself isn't the same as just having trauma. Um, you can have a bad experience but learn to cope with it. Post-traumatic stress disorder is when it's more, it impacts you more. You might be having nightmares, you might be having flashbacks. You might be scared when you hear like certain sounds just put you back into a memory of a trauma experience. Either way, trauma can have an impact on your mental well-being. Now, for a lot of people, especially if you've grown up in a family or a culture where you're not encouraged to show emotions, you might have a traumatic experience and you just push it down and you don't talk about it and you don't think about it. And you feel like you're coping really well and then all of a sudden you know you start having panic attacks and freaking out in strange places and you don't know why and you know you might go and talk to a psychologist and then it comes out that hey you never really talked about what it felt like when you were growing up and I don't know stuff was happening at home and you felt scared all the time but you, you were told to get on with it and not show emotions so those bottled up emotions will come up years later and at first you're freaking out because you're having anxiety and panic attacks and you don't know why and then it turns out that hang on you've got this really deep wound from when you were little and you were traumatized and because you never really got a chance to have healing those emotions stayed inside you until there came a point where they had to come out. So trauma is a way, in one way we can survive traumatic events by pushing forward, if that makes sense. But in another way, when we start experiencing mental illness, it's like those traumatic events need to be looked at and you need some healing in order to get back to be able to function. Now, that might be 
hard to get your head around. Um, and I guess that's another aspect of mental illness, which can take you off on a tangent. Um, sometimes the symptoms of mental illness are so big that it's like you need to deal with those symptoms before you can get down to the root issue. Um, Okay, so what do I mean by that? What do I mean by sometimes the symptoms of a trauma can be so big that you need to deal with those symptoms before you can get down to the root issue? Probably a really easy example is when there's drug addiction or alcoholism. What I've found, and I know for myself, I used, I used to have, um, I used to be a drug addict, and because of the drugs, taking drugs regularly caused so much dysfunction and affected my my mental ability. Like it made such a scramble of my brain and my mind that I was making bad choices, hanging around people who didn't really have my best interest at heart, but I couldn't see it because I was high all the time. And um, it got to the point when I did start looking at my drug use, it caused so much chaos in my life that I had to, you know, I didn't even realize that, hang on, I was self-medicating with recreational drugs because I had all this hurt inside me from stuff that happened when I was little. You know, the stuff that happened when I was little, I couldn't even start to look at that because I had to figure out how do I stop using drugs? How do I start interacting with people and enjoying people without having to be high? How do I get a sense of self back or a positive sense of self? You know, it took me time to build up my confidence as a person again because, you know, I used to use drugs and drugs made me feel better and I didn't really have to do anything to feel better. I could just take something and then my mood would elevate. Whereas when I stopped using drugs, I had to figure out, well, what do I do now? You know, because the, all that hurt was still there. But I had to actually start looking at stuff instead of using drugs to avoid the pain. You know, and and there was a lot of trauma from my childhood. But there was also practical things like I didn't know how to be around people while I was straight. I didn't know how to just have a normal conversation and you know, I was very selfish because I didn't know how to have interest in other people. Like I had to learn to how to talk to people and pay attention and show interest in what their lives were about because before I didn't really care about anyone else. I was very occupied with my own chaos and my own um, way of dealing with that chaos, which was being high all the time and hanging around other people who were using drugs so it felt normal to be high all the time. So in that, I don't know if that's a good way of explaining it. The symptoms of my trauma, which was pain, I started using drugs from a young age to cover those symptoms or to deal with those symptoms. So before I could even look at the trauma that caused the original pain, I had to deal with the addiction and I had to learn how to not use drugs to cope with life. I had to learn 
how to be on my own because I think I used to have a lot of people around me who were using drugs with me but I think that also helped me not feel so lonely and because I've been out of home since I was really young um, I had a lot of problems with loneliness so I had to learn how to be okay in my own company I had to learn how to function around people and be a normal member of society I had to learn not to run to substances in order to elevate my mood I actually learned that hey if I work on myself you know if I achieve things for myself if I get a job and work normal hours I can feel good about myself because I'm actually functioning properly whereas before I, I didn't I didn't even think that way you know um, I didn't really think very highly of myself I didn't believe I could accomplish anything and definitely while I was on drugs I didn't accomplish much but once I started learning how to live without drugs I started to feel good about myself because I was working hard and I had goals and I was achieving those goals and I was developing better relationships with people and yeah so it was a few years after I stopped using drugs it was quite a few years later that you know I was pretty stable for a while like I had postnatal depression when I had my son um, and then once that was sorted mainly through medication I had a couple of years where I was doing pretty good and then the depression came back and that's when I had to start looking at at the trauma um, from my childhood um, and that's the thing like there are people I don't know many of them but there are people who can take drugs and maybe not get addicted or maybe take drugs just because they like it but in my experience usually if you're a drug addict it's because you're using the drugs to hide something else and the addiction becomes so big that you never get down to the root issue you might know that you feel crap and that you hate yourself and that you're in pain you might know why you feel like that you know someone abused you or you might know it intellectually but you don't have the skills to actually confront it and deal with it while you're using drugs and that's why it gets complicated for a lot of people they never get down to that root issue or trauma because the symptom of that trauma like using drugs to self-medicate is so big that they have to deal with that first before there's enough space to actually look at well what started all this for the person so I hope that makes sense um, yeah okay so trauma is something that has happened to you that has damaged you in some sort of way and that at the time of it happening it was so overwhelming and so horrific that you didn't have the skills to be able to process it or, or deal with it in a healthy way so often what happens is a traumatic event or traumatic series of events gets pushed aside and you sort of go into work mode you know if you're a kid something might have happened to you you, you push it aside and you just try to get on 
with being a kid. If you're a soldier, you're in a war situation, um, or if you're a woman in an abusive relationship situation, whatever the trauma that's happened to you, you kind of put it aside and try to get on with your life. And then all of a sudden, maybe years later, you start having these mental illness symptoms, whether it's anxiety or depression or nightmares or something comes up and it's like your your brain is, is alerting you that it's a red flag that something's not right, you need help. Now the symptoms, like I was saying before, sometimes the symptoms can be so big that you never get to the root issue of the trauma. So sometimes people will just, they'll be like, okay, I've got depression. I don't know why I have depression, but I've got depression. So they'll go get help for the depression. They might get on medication so that that can help with the, you know, chemical balances in their brain and that gets rid of the depression. And they're like, okay, the depression's going away. My life's okay now. They get on with their lives. Or, you know, in the cases of addiction, it might be the addiction might have caused so many situational problems in their life that they never get to the root issue of why, you know, what led to them to become an addict. The trauma's there, but the symptoms of the trauma coming out as addiction has caused so much havoc that that is a project in itself. And until the addiction project is sorted, the trauma never really gets looked at. Um, or you can also have situations where someone has had a traumatic event, they know they need help and they go and get the help straight away. Um, this is why like when there's school shootings, not that we have school shootings in a... Oops, sorry, I just dropped my water bottle. Not that we have um, school shootings in Australia, um, and I hope we don't have any school shootings in Australia, but this is why when there's a traumatic event at a school, they offer counselling straight away. Because the sooner you can get help when there's been a trauma, the more likely you're going to be able to recover and the more likely you're going to be able to cope in the long term with whatever's happened to you. Now, sometimes when there's a traumatic event, even if help is offered straight away, people can't talk about it. You know, people can't process it in themselves. They, they It's just too much. It's too big. It's too painful. They just can't bring themselves to to talk about it. And so they'll push it aside. They'll try to keep themselves busy. They'll, you know, they just don't have the, the resilience or the energy to look at it straight away. And that's okay. Like I said, mental health is a journey. And it's up to you when you feel ready to get help you know and if you feel like no nah, I I can't do this right now I don't want to talk about this traumatic event I'm gonna keep driving for a while if it comes up again I'll deal with it then it might not come up at all you know that's okay um, but if it does get to a point with it where you're experiencing mental illness symptoms and you've had trauma in your life then that might be a sign that it's time to talk about it you know um, I remember there was a client who used to, she'd come into the psychiatric ward where I worked. She'd been there a few times and she had a lot of trauma in her childhood and in her youth. 
but she felt like she dealt with it and she'd been doing really well I don't know for about 10 years and then all of a sudden she started having flashbacks and nightmares and then she started drinking as a way of coping with the flashback and nightmares and emotions that the nightmares were raising and she was really angry you know she was like I dealt with all this stuff I don't know why it's come back now and you know drinking doesn't really in her situation it wasn't helping because her drinking was then causing other problems in her life like with her work and her relationships now she resented that the trauma had come back up and it is frustrating and annoying especially when you've already done some self-work you know maybe you've already had counseling maybe you've already spoken to psychologists maybe you know you've you've been down this road before and you thought it was sorted and then all of a sudden the trauma pops up again or gets re-triggered so she was really angry at it i know for me as much as i was angry when a lot of my stuff from my childhood came back up again and i thought i'd already dealt with it i was angry but then there was a part of me that thought okay if this has come up again it's because there's a part of me that's ready to deal with it and i need to get the help get the support do what i can do to be able to deal with this and look at it and sort it out you know hopefully once and for all but you never know um people we're vulnerable we have wounds and sometimes even when we dealt with stuff as much as we can and we feel like we're past it sometimes things can trigger us and bring us back to that place of hurt it's just making sure that when we do come back to a trauma or a place of being hurt depressed vulnerable anxious if we have trauma we have to recognize that we need help in order to get through it we're not supposed to go through stuff alone and whether that help ends up being from a psychologist or a support group or a self-help book it's it's learning when when is the time to get help so that you can get through stuff so it doesn't overwhelm your life or get you to a point where you can't function okay so the final factor in how mental illness can come into a person's life is if there's a family history of mental illness they call it the nature or nurture argument and basically what that means is that they believe there could be a genetic component in mental illness so nature so that means that you could be born with mental illness issues because of your genetic makeup and your family tree and stuff or nurture which is the way that you've been raised or the experiences you've had growing up in your family can also lead to mental illness uh, it seems like a pretty sucky deal to me <laughs> and the reason like it to me it sounds it's really frustrating because if mental illness is a genetic disorder if it's something that you're just born with then it kind of implies that there's nothing you can do to help yourself get better um, whereas yeah it, it I don't I don't agree with that idea that oh it's, it's genetic you're born with it and that's it to me that it takes away any power from the person experiencing the mental illness so 
there might be genetic reasons for someone experiencing mental illness but hopefully with the right support and with the right treatment and looking at different options there's also ways of managing or overcoming a mental illness the nurture side of it the way you've been raised obviously if your parents have got their own mental health issues they might not have the skills to best prepare you for adulthood and that can be really difficult i know for me my mum has mental health issues my dad um there was issues with my dad as well and it meant i never learned how to deal with emotions healthily i was the house i grew up in you had to um pretend like nothing was wrong even though there was a lot of wrong things so you had to bottle up emotions all the time i used to either be full of rage or be full on depressed from a very young age and it was because i never learned healthy ways of expressing um myself or expressing emotions and then on top of that there was trauma events so by the time i came to age as an adult i had never learned healthy ways of dealing with my emotions of dealing with life of just learning how to function in a healthy productive way so that's kind of the nurture side so when they talk about nature versus nurture regarding mental illness they're talking about a genetic predisposition so if you're born with genetic makeup that leads towards mental illness or if you've been raised in an environment so that's nurture where because of the dysfunction of the household you've never learned healthy ways of of functioning in both cases you can learn better skills you can learn healthier more productive ways of dealing with emotions or how to have healthy relationships so there's always hope um and if you get the right supports and get people who can help you identify or if you learn how to identify yourself the areas that you want help with that can make a huge positive impact on your mental well-being um i know for me because of the house i grew up in like my dad he could be quite abusive and aggressive and so sometimes it was safer just to be quiet um but then if you shut up all the time because you're scared to talk then you might explode in rage every now and again so that's why i used to sometimes i'd be really aggressive and violent not my best times or sometimes i'd be way too passive and quiet and instead of speaking up for myself i'd bottle everything in that led to some really toxic relationships especially when i was younger like in my early um 20s and late teens i just didn't have the skills to be able to communicate in a healthy way and my moods were all over the place because i'd swing from rage to passive and the men i used to get involved with would they'd be pretty dysfunctional themselves and so i was in all these abusive relationships and i just didn't have the skills to cope in a more healthy way with life so one of the best things i did um when i was quite young i think i was 19 or 20 um i had a caseworker who was helping me with my mental health well-being and 
I was able to get funding to do assertiveness training. And assertiveness is a way of communicating where you make sure you feel you feel that you've been heard and you express yourself in a way that you feel comfortable with. Um, now, you might, you know, there are people who are just naturally assertive. I wasn't one of them. I had to actually learn how to be able to express myself and communicate in a way where I felt that I had been heard and I wasn't being too aggressive and I wasn't being too passive. So I actually learned how to do that. And, you know, funding to do assertiveness training isn't available to everybody, but there are books out there. I'm sure now that everything's on the internet, I'm sure there's stuff online that can help you with assertiveness. But learning how to communicate and speak up for yourself, it's really important. And if you've had trauma as a child, as a child you might not know how to speak up for yourself. Um, or you might keep everything bottled inside because you've been taught that if you do speak out, you're going to get in trouble. So learning assertiveness helped me a lot with my mental well-being because it was a skill I didn't have. But once I got the skill, once I learned how to communicate, that in turn helped me be a lot more stable in my emotions. Um, so yeah, just an example there. Um, and another, yeah, it's another example of how you can learn skills to help your mental well-being. Okay, so related to genetic predispositions of mental illness. So if you've already got a family history of a mental illness, what they say is that it doesn't necessarily guarantee, so it doesn't mean you're definitely going to have mental illness experiences in your life if there's already a history of mental illness in your family. It means that you're probably more vulnerable to having mental illness yourself. Now for me, my mum has mental health issues and my grandma had mental health issues. So it's not completely unexpected that I ended up having mental health issues. But whether that's genetic, you know, wherever I was more vulnerable to having mental health issues or because of all the crap I experienced as a kid and in my early adulthood, if that led to me, like all the trauma, if that led to me having mental health issues, who's to say? I'm more inclined to lean towards all the trauma I experienced led to me to have mental health issues. I'm not going to get into detail, but if you went through the stuff that I went through, you probably have depression as well and post-traumatic post stress disorder. But it doesn't really matter. Like for me, it doesn't really matter if it's genetic or if it's my um, the way I grew up. Because at the end of the day, how it started, it's irrelevant. The fact is I've had depression most of my life. I have had post-traumatic stress disorder most of my life. I've, I've had to learn how to deal with it. So how it started, it doesn't really matter because it doesn't change the fact that I've had to learn how to cope with with the cards life has given me 
The other part of this is to do with biochemistry or brain chemistry. And this is when people who maybe there's a genetic predisposition, um, but something happens where there's a change in their brain chemistry and then this leads to mental illness. And the most common ways that I've seen this happen to other people is when they've used drugs. So um, crystal meth or meth, um, I've seen a lot of people who end up with drug-induced psychosis um, and they end up in a psychiatric hospital. Now, if they're fortunate, they might be psychotic for a few days or a bit longer and then eventually calm down and regain their mental capacity. If they're unfortunate, they might end up with ongoing psychotic issues like schizophrenia. Usually what the doctors say is if you end up with drug-induced psychosis, it's because you've already got a genetic predisposition to mental illness. So they're saying like if there's already a history of mental illness in your family and if you do drugs and end up psychotic, it's because you're already genetically inclined to end up with a mental illness. I'm not sure, okay? I, I don't know how much exact research has been put into that. I mean, if, if you've got a history of drug use, you've probably seen it yourself. You've, you've, you've probably seen friends who have used drugs for a really long time and, and seem to be able to hold down a job. You've seen other people who get onto the drugs and just make a mess of your life, of their life. And then you've seen people who have used drugs and then end up in the psychiatric hospital or end up killing themselves or, you know, it's, it's quite grim. Um, but yeah, basically drugs and mental illness aren't a good combination and sometimes drugs can induce long-term mental illness um, because of the biochemical factor. It's not something I know a lot about, like I haven't really read a lot of the research into that. Um, I know like with the legislation of marijuana, um, there's a lot of criticism about the science around whether marijuana leads to mental illness or not. But then a lot of people I've known who worked in mental health have said that they've seen people who end up psychotic because of marijuana use. And definitely when I was working in the psychiatric hospital, I saw young people who were psychotic because of meth, because of marijuana. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how that part of it works. Um, I know for my son, I've since a very young age, I've warned him that not only had I experienced mental illness, but that I always also had issues with drugs and there is a history of addiction in my family tree. So he needs to be really careful. Um, and he needs to be aware that if he takes drugs, there might be a genetic predisposition there. So he's aware of that. I pray to God he makes good choices. You know, you don't want to see anyone you love 
be mentally unwell, and especially your kids, and especially if they got there because of drug use. But, you know, people make their own decisions. Um, so I just pray that my son will always be safe. Um, but I've had to be honest with him because he needs to know what he's, what he's coming up against. And yeah, kids are curious. Young people are curious and, you know, I can't, I can't blame people because I've been there and I know with my own drug use, I had a lot of fun. It wasn't all bad. I had a lot of fun. It scrambled my head, <laughs> but I did have a lot of fun most of the time. Um, but it also, you know, I regret most of my twenties, um, were using drugs and I really wish I had have used that time in a more productive manner, but Hey, you live and learn. Yeah. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. Um, this has been my first podcast. Um, I really hope it helps people. You know, I hope if you've if you've been listening right through that you've gotten something out of it. Now, I do have a YouTube channel, so if you want to learn a little bit more about me, I do have a YouTube channel which is Dr. Angers Mental Health Review and you can check out i've got i haven't got a lot of stuff up but i have a few animations up um you know just explaining a bit more about my own history um i've got like a podcast on there about medication um because that's quite a big topic when it comes to mental health whether or not you want to take medication um i've got the story of uh, a friend called sunflower and what her mental health journey has been like. And this is something I've, I think I mentioned earlier. I'm really passionate about mental health and people who've experienced mental health issues just sharing their journey because it helps other people. It helps other people know they're not alone. It helps knowing, like hearing people's stories can inspire you, it can give you ideas on different ways of coping. and. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I love, I love humans. <laughs> I'm not very social. Um, I'm quite antisocial. I'm quite introverted. But at the same time, I love hearing about other people's lives. And I love hearing, especially when people overcome stuff, that really inspires me. So one of the things I'm hoping to do is interview people on the podcast who have um, mental health issues. Um, I want to interview people and I want to also make animations about people's mental health journey. So if that sounds like something you'd like to be a part of, send me an email. My email is drange77 at gmail.com. So that's D-R-A-N-J-7-7 at gmail.com. My YouTube page is Dr. Angers Mental Health Review. So the spelling is the same as this podcast. And I do have a Facebook page, which is, sorry, I'm, I had this all ready to just, you know, make it slide easy. But the YouTube, uh, sorry, the Facebook page is Doc Ange. So if you do a French search for Doc Ange, D-O-C, and then space A-N-J, 
um, sorry, capital D and capital A, then that's the Facebook page that I've set up for Dr. Andrew's everything, mental health review. Um, I'm, I'm working on a Patreon. Um, but yeah, check out some of my animations. If you'd love me to interview you, or if you've got any comments or questions or whatever, send me an email. I love writing and I love writing emails. So I'm happy to respond to anyone who contacts me or join my Facebook page. And, you know, hopefully we can get a bit of a community happening where we can encourage and support each other. Thank you so much for listening. As I said, this is my first podcast. I hope it's been good. The next one, I'm going to talk a bit more about coming up with your own plans, like your own strategy on how to look at your mental health and how to create a bit of a a plan for yourself so that this journey doesn't feel so overwhelming. So that's going to be the next podcast. Probably come out once weekly. Um, Does that make sense? Once a week Um, or once a fortnight. I'm not sure yet. New to this new to the technology as well but um i hope it helps and i hope you're traveling well in your own mental health journey take care guys bye